continuing our lesson in our sermon series on Mark, and we're um, going through Mark. If you're if you're able to open up your Bibles to Mark one chapter fourteen verse twenty, but um, today's passage begins a new section in Mark. The events described in verse one through thirteen were all preparatory to Jesus' ministry. John the Baptist came preparing the way for Christ. Jesus was baptized for ministry and tested in the wilderness. And that's what last week's message was about. Now he is ready to begin his public ministry in Galilee. So if you're able, please stand up for the reading of God's Word. And we're in Mark chapter 1. And we'll be reading verse 14 through 20. God's Word says, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray that God will speak to us this morning through his holy word. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning, Lord, as uh, your people, Lord, as your sons and daughters, Lord. I pray that you would speak to us this morning, Lord, that we would understand the gospel, the good news, Lord that we have been blessed to come to know, Lord, and that we have been called by you, Lord, to become uh, your sons and daughters, but also to become fishers of men, to go out and share the gospel with this world, Lord, who desperately needs to hear, Lord. And, Lord, you're the one who saves, you're the one who draws people to yourself, Lord. So let us be bold in that, in proclaiming your gospel, Lord. And let us, Lord, just be thankful for the fact that you have saved us and called us, Lord, to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So what do you do when... Jesus calls. You can sit down here. What do you do when Jesus calls? What is the appropriate response to Christ? This is the question that four young fishermen faced one morning along the shores of Galilee. And it is a question that we must face today. And if you're a Christian, you probably already faced that question. Jesus is no longer here in the flesh. He has returned to heaven, but he still issues his call through the preaching of the gospel and the drawing power of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus calls you, what will you do? How will you respond to the call of Jesus? That's what this morning's passage is all about. So in, in verses 14 and 15, it begins with Jesus' message and it says, and John was arrested, John the Baptist. Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. After John was put in prison, sets a somber tone here. Think about G John the Baptist who baptized Jesus is going to be put locked up in prison. The last we heard of John, he was baptizing and preaching in the wilderness, and everyone was coming to him. Things were going well. Mark will fill us in on some of the details on this, of, of this later in the gospel.
But for now, it is enough to know that the things churn, things churn for John. He was arrested and he was locked away. We don't know exactly how much time takes place between verses 13, where, where Jesus was in the wilderness, and verse 14. But we know Jesus not, did not immediately begin his preaching ministry in Galilee. It was a bit, a bit of a time. Jesus had, some, had come to Galilee to be baptized by John in the Jordan. And there was an, an interval time, so like a, a little time that was a gap of time where Jesus stayed in Judea with some of his disciples. Jesus' ministry overlapped with John's as Jesus' disciples also baptized people in the Jordan River. During this time, John's ministry began to decrease. And until we read in John, in John chapter 4, verse 1 and 2, you don't have to go there. It says, the Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So Jesus was baptizing as well. It was around this time that John was arrested and Jesus returned to Galilee. And as Jesus went into Galilee, he began his public preaching ministry, proclaiming the good news of God. So what is the, the good news of God? The phrase good news, and I'm sure we've all familiar with it, we've all heard it over and over so many times, can also be translated to gospel. And that's what the word gospel means, good news. But of course, the people of Jesus, the people Jesus was speaking to, did not have the same understanding of the gospel that we have today. You hear the word gospel, and we're very familiar with it. But when we hear the word gospel today, we think of the whole story of the gospel. Redemptive history. We think of the whole story of the gospel. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose again, and we may even have and we may have new life through Him, through His sacrifice on the cross. Amen? Amen. At this time in history, those, who, those things had not happened. So Jesus, He hasn't died yet. Um, and Jesus could still proclaim the good news of God in terms of what was happening right then and there. He was still proclaiming good news to the people. So what was happening? Look in verse 15. The time has come, He said. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Obviously, Jesus spoke and taught much more than that. But that, but this is a summary of Jesus' message. It's a summary, and it has two parts. Two parts. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. That's the first part. The time has come. The kingdom of God is near. So the first part is that. John the Baptist had come to prepare a way for Christ, and now Christ was here. Christ is here with us now. The time of which John had spoken had now arrived in the person of Jesus. And we read in verse 15 that can, can also be translated, the time is fulfilled. What does your, what does your uh, version say? Does any other different version say something different? So there, there is a sense that with the coming of Jesus, the coming of the promises of God are being fulfilled. The promises of God are being fulfilled right now, it's, it's, it's Jesus saying. The time has come, the kingdom of God is near. The people of Jesus, they were familiar with the concept of God's kingdom. We've heard of God's kingdom, God's rule. God's kingdom referred to God's reign or his rule over all things. They knew that God was sovereign, ruler of all things. God is king. 
And yet they also knew that God had allowed his people to come under the rule of other nations. Had he not had not Israel been under the rule of Rome at that time? They knew from the prophets that this was also part of God's rule. That God had allowed this to happen because of their own sin and their idolatry. Every time they rebelled, every time they sinned, God would just give them over to other nations to rule over them. And that was a common pattern in the Old Testament. But they also knew that one day God would deliver them from all their enemies. And that He would rule all the nations with, their perfect, with His perfect justice and His righteousness. And that will happen one day. Amen? And now Jesus says that the time had come, that the kingdom of God was near. This was good news. This was what they had been waiting for. The Old Testament, that's what they were longing for, looking for. This is what all the Old Testament promises pointed forward to. And now Jesus announced that the time had come. As we continue to... Continue through the Gospel of Mark, we will see that the kingdom of God arrived in the person of Jesus. And yet still, it awaits its final fulfillment. It's here, but it's not fully here yet. This is one of the reasons why Jesus taught us to pray, Your kingdom come in Matthew. The kingdom has arrived with Jesus. It has begun in its work in and through the Gospel and yet it will not arrive in all of its fullness until Christ comes again, His second coming. So that's the first part of the message was, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. What was the second part of His message? Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. And so, that was the first part of Jesus' message, the time has come, the kingdom of God is near. That was the good news. And so the second part is Jesus, repent and believe the good news. What does the word repent mean? It carries an idea of turning away from your sins. But it also carries an idea of turning back to God. So you don't just turn away from your sins, but you turn towards God. And also Jesus says, repent, be changed from your old way of life and believe the good news. To believe means to trust, to have faith. And in Scripture, repentance and faith always go together. I think of, uh, of faith, or to believe in trusting, is as a parachute. I hear Ray Comfort, he has a saying that says, if you're on an airplane, and the airplane's going to crash, and you have it, and I tell you, here's a parachute, the planes are going to crash, do you just look at the parachute and be like, oh yeah, that's a cool parachute, like, thank you. Or do you put it on to, to get ready to jump off the plane? You put it on. So that's what it means to believe, to trust, to have faith. Not just to listen, but to believe in it with action. In Scripture, repentance and faith always go together. Repentance and faith, they go together. You cannot repent without believing, and you cannot believe without repenting. They are like two sides of the same coin. And you cannot have one without the other. True repentance is believing repentance. And true faith is repentant faith. And so Jesus says, repent and believe the good news. Believe that the time has come. Believe that the kingdom of God is near. Believe that God is about to fulfill all His promises. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus calls, right? It says... 
In verse 16 and 17, in the next verses, the scene shifts from the Sea of Galilee. Look at verse 16, it says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. For they were fishermen. Although we call it a sea, the Sea of Galilee is really an inland lake. The Jordan River flows through it from the north to the south. The lake is about 12 miles long and 7 miles wide. It is located in the Jordan Rift Valley about 700 feet below sea level. In Jesus' day, it was, a, it was famous for its fishing. And many small towns and villages dotted its shores. So as Jesus walks beside the Sea of Galilee, he sees Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. So they're doing their jobs, they're working. They were casting nets. They were circular nets up to 20 feet in diameter with stone weights attached all around the circumference of the net. They would cast the net out into the water and the, weight, and the weights would sink and then you would have to pull the net back in with an attached rope that would draw the net together, catching any fish in its path. Mark tells us that Simon and Andrew were both fishermen. And so I'm sure they were quite good at their job, right? They were, that's what they did for work. That's all they knew what to do. And Jesus walks up and sees them casting their nets into the lake. And he issues a call to them. He tells them, come, follow me. He calls them, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. So what does that mean? What is Jesus saying? What do you mean they're fishers already? Fishers of men, what does that mean? Jesus' call had two parts to it. And the first part was, come, follow me. Now, this was different from the rabbis of that day. The rabbis, they had followers as well. Rabbis had followers. But a rabbi didn't call followers to himself. You went to the rabbi and asked if you could be one of his disciples. And then either he let you or he did not. Also, when you became a disciple of a rabbi, you did not follow him personally. You didn't follow his everywhere he went. Rather, you studied under him. In other words, you were not following him so much as you were following his interpretation of the law. But when Jesus calls the disciples, he calls them to follow him. His, him. This was not a call to follow a religion or a set of teachings or a way of life, but a call to follow a person. Follow him, Jesus. And this today is still true. Christianity is primarily about a person. The person of Jesus Christ. Yes, the Bible contains plenty of teachings and instructions for life, but none of that matters apart from the person of Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you take Jesus away, you do not have Christianity. Christianity means first and foremost following Jesus. You might wonder, what does it mean to follow Jesus? For the disciples, it was very clear. Jesus was right there. I mean, literally, he was right there as a person. And it meant you followed him around. You're just where he's at, you're at. Where he walked, you walked. Where he went, you went. So what does it mean to follow Jesus today? Because Jesus is in here with us literally right now, right? What does it mean to follow him today? Following Jesus is not the same as Twitter. Have you guys heard of Twitter? You have Twitter? Any of you guys have Twitter? I have Twitter, but it's pretty good to just be on top, on top of the news and everything that's happening. Twitter is a service that allows you to follow other people online as they post brief messages Throughout the day, similar to Facebook, Facebook has that as well, the status updates. 
It is a relatively simple and pain-free way to keep up with friends, with relatives, with business associates. Following Jesus does not mean simply keeping up with Him or checking up on Him periodically. That does not, does not mean following Jesus. Rather, the call to follow Jesus is the call to discipleship. You guys heard that word? Discipleship? We are all disciples of Him. If you follow Jesus, you are His disciple. It means that you put Jesus first. That you give Him your complete loyalty, your complete obedience, and your complete trust. Just as disciples left everything to follow Christ, you reorient your entire life around Jesus. He is your master, He is your Lord, and He calls you to follow Him. Amen? Amen. He says, come, follow me. <clears throat> it is a simple, absolute call. There's no wiggle room. There's no other parameters. You are either a follower of Jesus, or you are not. It's one or the other. You, you either follow Him, or you do not follow Him. So He says, I will make you fishers of men. That was the first part of the call. Come follow me. The second part of the call has to do with the reason. Why did he call you to follow him? Why Jesus called you to follow Come follow me, Jesus said. I will make you fishers of men. In other words, when Jesus calls you, he may not only want your loyalty and trust, but he wants to change you. He wants to make you into something you were not before. He wants to make you into a fisher of men. Get this straight. To follow Jesus is to fish for people. What does that mean? Followers fish. If you guys just remember one thing in today's sermon is followers fish. Fishing is the family is the family business. If you're if you're in Jesus' family, you're going to fish. Now, obviously, Jesus used the phrase fishers of men with Simon and Andrew because they were fishermen. That's what their occupation was at that time. They were used to catching fish. From now on, they would catch men. Which was, which, what was Jesus saying here? The call to follow Jesus included the call to bring other people to God. Because it's not only about us, it's about God's bringing all His elect back, all His people to Himself. The call to, the, the call to follow Jesus includes the bringing other people to God. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Did He not? And so if you are following Him, you will join Him in all His important tasks. The Great Commission, right? Preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. To make disciples. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded. Baptizing them. Again, followers fish. And notice that this is before Jesus had taught these guys anything. Jesus hadn't taught them anything. He said, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Yeah, they hadn't taught anything. They didn't know what Jesus was saying. I mean, to the most, like his full teachings. They were newbies. They were new, but I think sometimes when we're new believers, we're so on fire for God. We love God so much because He's transformed our life that we're so easily telling everybody about what He's done in our lives. And I think as we mature in our faith, sometimes we get kind of grow slack in our evangelism because we we kind of know more, but yet we share less. It's kind of weird. When we knew less, we share more. I used to be out there evangelizing in New York and downtown LA, Hollywood, and my college campus. I was sharing Jesus with everybody, and I didn't know all the theology that I know today. But now that we know so much, we kind of don't even share as much as we should. And I want to get back to sharing more and more. Do you guys as well? Amen? Amen. So, they're, they're so green that if you threw them in the fire, they wouldn't burn. From the very beginning, Jesus says, let's go fishing. Because 
followers fish. Now, that excites me and it scares me to death. It excites me and scares me. It excites me because the possibility of change lies it, it, and improved relation. People finding new life in Christ. Spurgeon said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you are not saved yourself. Be sure of that. I think in every real true believer's heart, you should love your family who aren't believers. You should love your co-workers who aren't believers. You should love your friends, acquaintances, people around you who do not know Christ. You want to share the love of God with them. Amen? It scares me because talking about Jesus out, out here is hard. It's, it's hard to talk about Jesus out there. I mean, I have no problem doing it in here because it's safe, right? I mean, you guys can have Bible study here in the church and you guys can share and everybody's cool with it, right? So the most part, nobody's going to say nothing. But out there where people make fun of Christians and people reject Christians and people have all these horrible ideas about Christians, that kind of scares me to death. It could scare some of you. And I can relate with you guys. It's bad out there. But I pray and I ask God to give me and give you boldness that we would be able to be bold to share our faith with people around us. Amen? Amen. And I'm guessing it scares me. It probably scares you a bit. But let's get over our fears because our love should swallow our fears, should it not? The love for God and the love for people should swallow any fear that we have. Ultimately, they're dying and going to hell. And I think God is sovereign. He's the one who's going to save them. It's not you. You're not, you're not you're convincing this or how good your eloquence of speaking is. It's God's word that is not returned void. And he will draw them to himself. And that gives, should give you guys confidence. In evangelism, you win, win, and win. Win if they reject you. Because your reward is great in heaven. Win if you put a, if you put a little... Um, put a if you, uh, pep, if you sow a seed. If you sow a seed in someone's life, that's a winning situation. And if they come to Christ, that's a winning. Because it's rejoicing in heaven when a sinner repents and comes to faith. Amen? So Jesus' first and last commandments to his disciples both have to do with witnessing. Did you guys, is that, isn't that interesting? That Jesus' first and last commands to his disciples both had to do with witnessing, with evangelism. Let's see what it says. So it says, think about that. His first command, which is found here in Mark, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And his last command is in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, when, before he descends to heaven. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus starts with evangelism, ends with evangelism. That's the mission that we have in this planet, in this world that we live in, to seek and save the lost. Jesus' call to Simon and Andrew is the same call that he issues to you today. He calls you to follow him personally. And when you do, He promises to change you. He's changing us, sanctifying us day by day. And He will make you become fishers of men. So what is our appropriate response to this? If that's the call, then what should, we, what should be our response to Jesus' call? What should we do when Jesus says that to, for us to do? Mark presents the disciples' response in a positive light. As something that we should follow in our own lives. Basically the response was twofold. He says immediately the obedience to Jesus calls. There was an immediate, immediate obedience to Jesus call. First they immediately obeyed Jesus call. Look at verse 18. What does it say verse 18? At once they left their nets and followed him. They did it right, right really quick, at once. 
Now that is awesome. At once they left their nets and fallen. Remember, Mark said that when Jesus saw them, they were casting their nets into the lake. They were working. You almost get the impression that they didn't even take the time to pull the net back in. They cast their net into the ocean. Jesus calls them. And they leave the net, fish, and all. And immediately begin to follow Jesus. Notice that this is how we should respond to Jesus. But, the truth is, we don't always do this, do we? More often than not, we take a long time to think about decisions. They're like, man, should I follow Jesus? Should I not? Hmm. But let me assure you that every person who has ever come to Christ always wishes they had done it sooner or not. They always ask, why did I wait so long? Why did I keep putting this decision off? Why did I waste so much of my life not knowing and following Jesus Christ? We always regret that we didn't come to Him sooner. Jesus is Lord. He is the King. And the only proper response when Jesus calls you to follow Him is to do so immediately. When Jesus calls, it's time to go. Anything less is sin, but thank God that He is gracious to, to us. And He's patient with us, even in our sin of delaying to follow Christ when He calls. And then what's the second thing that happens? They leave everything else behind. Not only did the disciples immediately respond in obedience to Jesus' call, they left everything behind to do it. Let's read verse 19 and 20. When he had gone, to, when he had gone a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and his brother John in a boat. Preparing their nets. Without, without delay, he called them. And they left, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired men and followed him. Jesus now followed by Simon. And Andrew walks a little further on down the shore. And he sees James and John. And they are in a boat with their father preparing their nets for the next round of fishing. Jesus calls them. And they leave everything behind to follow him. Simon and Andrew left their nets behind. James and John left their nets behind. They all left their nets behind. They left their boat. They left their family business. They even left their father in order to follow Jesus. That's how important Jesus was to them. That's how they took it serious. Does Jesus always call us away from our possessions and occupation and our family? No, right? He doesn't always call us away from those things. But He does call us to follow Him without hesitation or reservation, which means we must follow, be willing to follow, leave all those things behind should Jesus command us to. There's a David Platt, a pastor who wrote a book called Radical. And it talks about just being a radical follower of Christ, how we give up the things that in, that in this world that keeps us comfortable. The American dream, you know, the big house, the nice cars, the security that we have for the future retirement, the, the, all the possessions that we want, we leave those behind to follow Christ because we have a mission to do, right? World missions and even here in our community around us. So does Jesus call us away from everything? Sometimes no, but He does call us to follow Him without hesitation. Why? Because the time has come. The kingdom of God has arrived in the person of Jesus Christ. We must repent and believe the good news. Amen? Amen. So I want to wrap up this, this, the message with 
The passage of Jesus calling us disciples is a challenging passage to us this morning. It's a challenging passage to all of us. It is meant to be. It is meant to challenge you with the message of God's kingdom, with the call to discipleship, and your appropriate response. A question to you guys: Are you following Jesus? If not, you need to ask yourself: Am I really a Christian? Am I really a follower? And you know, we hear that statistic that the pews are full of people who are just warming the pews and aren't really true followers of Christ. But you, we all got to ask our own selves, am I really a Christian? Am I really a disciple of Christ? Am I really saved? A Christian is someone who follows Jesus. That's the call. If you are not following Jesus, then what are you doing? Are you just being religious? Are you just coming to church because your parents tell you to or because you're, you've always done it or because there's just that's just what the culture is you know that's what just you know do you follow Christ are you a disciple of Christ Jesus said come follow me I will make you fishers of men Jesus calls you to follow him and in following him you are bringing others along God's kingdom is meant to be shared we need to be wise and looking for opportunities to lead other people to Christ is Jesus making you a fisher of men are you do you have that zeal for evangelism to share the gospel with people around you who don't know him? The disciples left everything behind in order to follow Jesus. They left everything. Following Jesus is actually a whole series of leaving things behind. When we first begin to follow Jesus, we leave, we leave our old way of life behind. Have we not changed when we were before Christ and after Christ? Some of us, not everything, but we've changed a lot, right? We've changed on things that we used to struggle with and delight and be in sin. And now we, the Spirit of God indwells us and we, we don't want to be in that, right? Filth. We leave the old way of life behind. But as we continue to follow, we, we will have to leave other things behind along the way. I have a question for you guys. What might God be asking of you to leave behind today? What are some things right now that you're battling with and that God's asking you? Leave that behind. Let that go. What is standing in the way of you following Jesus today? What are some things in your life that you're struggling with that you're like, I want to follow Christ wholeheartedly, 100% committed, but I'm still battling with these things. The call to follow Jesus is the call to discipleship. We're all disciples of Christ. We're not just followers as in Twitter or as in Facebook. We're actually followers of a person, Jesus Christ. And he's commanded us to be fishers of men, to share the gospel, to be evangelistic, to reach. So that should be our church. As a church, we should want to be involved with missions. We should want to be involved with evangelism. So as a pastor of the church, I want to bring that to the church. And I want to feel that to us. Because we're disciples of Christ. So Christ is calling you. And how will you respond? If you're not a believer, put your faith and trust in Christ today. Repent and believe the gospel, the good news. And if you are a Christian, take your call seriously. Follow Christ wholeheartedly, 100%. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, Lord, we, I pray for those who aren't believers. I pray that you would reach out to them, Lord, that you would convict them of their sin and that you would bring them to yourself in repentance and faith in Christ, Lord, that they would call to you, Lord, as Lord and Savior, Lord. And for those of us who are Christian, Lord, I pray that we would take your call as disciples seriously, Lord, that we would um, be about your kingdom's business, Lord, to seek and save the lost, that we would be evangelistically driven, Lord, that we would love to share the gospel with the people who don't know you and who are 
on their way to hell and who are dying, Lord, in their sins and transgressions and, and the wrath of you abides upon them, Lord, that we would lovingly share the good news that you love them, that you died for them as they put their faith and trust in you, Jesus. So I pray that our church would be an evangelistic church that loves people or more saved, Lord. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.